Hello and welcome to Fireside Chat Number Forty Nine. Um, I am Mash, and I am accompanied by Sandro and Jose. As usual, with the three of us, are managing directors for Codurance. Um, and and the format of of this podcast um, or live stream is basically that we we usually pick a subject uh, often related to to our work. We are a software cons- uh, consultancy, and and we have a lot of opinions on the area. A lot of them are uh, ill-formed and ill-advised and not researched. <laughs> but we talk a lot about this, and through that through that conversation, we we often learn from each other and. And we decided that you know it'll be it'll be good to involve others as well. So we do this as a live live stream. So people are wel- welcome to join us on YouTube. In particular, we have it live on uh, LinkedIn and Twitter Spaces as well. But if you want to um, comment and and for us to reply back to to you and so on, then usually YouTube is better. But of course, uh, it's available on our YouTube channel, so you can listen to it at any time. It's also available as a podcast, and you can also go to codeurance.com, and you can find these as well, uh, links to them as well. So um, <clears throat> without further ado, the to- topic for today is, is uh, essential versus um, accidental complexity, or why is our software so complex? And we think that the essential and accidental complexity is a very good way to frame this conversation, right? So let's get started. So who's going to, first of all, define what accidental and essential complexity is as source of complex software? Ouch, we picked the guy that usually does the definition for us yeah, to open the, the, the episode. The, the, the definition so now we <laughs> I would have done such a good job as well, you know. <laughs> <laughs> By the way, I have the cat here with me, so if you hear meowing or whatever, that's a... <laughs> so, okay, so I'll, I'll venture it, yeah. So, essential complexity is the complexity that you get from that is inherent to the problem that you're trying to solve, right? Like in order to solve that problem, you need to do certain steps, yeah? And it can be simpler than whatever steps you have, right? So that so that complexity inherent to the problem is what I would, well, I know, but uh, you know, you would call essential, uh, essential complexity. Now, accidental complexity is anything else that we add <laughs> to that, right? Like it's, it's basically, as we're trying to solve the problem sometimes, knowingly or not yeah uh we introduce let's call it more steps or more more things that are necessary in order to to solve the problem and that's when we increase the complexity uh, of what we're doing yeah and this could be i don't know selecting a different stack or architectural decision or you know design principle or, or programming paradigm whatever it is that that you choose, knowing order that the tools, let's say, or the, the approach that you follow to solve the, the problem may introduce a lot of that stuff. Yeah. Um, and I think to, to go now to the question, or Sandra, if you want to add anything else, just uh, no, no. Know, but but in order to go then to the question of why some so so you know software so complex, uh, I would say that a is not as easy as it seems not to introduce <laughs> accidental complexity, right? Uh, it, it, it is inherently a communication problem. For me, building software is a, is a bit like 
a Chinese whispers kind of thing, right? It's like whoever has the ideas is trying to tell someone else what you know what they need. Then I don't know, you're trying to tell your team what, what it is that we need to build, and then they are trying to tell each other how they can do this, and then someone is trying to tell the computers, no. So overall, it's like everyone is trying to communicate in, into different levels of understanding of the problem, and that in itself creates problems, right? Because it's, you you may not have a shared understanding of what that simple essential problem is, no? and that creates a lot of issues. I don't know. Do you have any other sources? Uh, or I, I have. I have a, actually a slightly different definition <laughs> as well, which may be a, a kind of con just a, an, another one that adds to it. I think. Uh, it's not contrary uh, before we go into the problem of the communication problem because mm -hmm. the way I would describe uh, <clears throat> uh, an uh, uh, essential complexity I think you can describe it from a from a value perspective as well right essential complexity is if you simplify the value is reduced the value that you're trying to deliver and accidental complexity is where you can simplify without reducing the value. And I'll tell you why I like that. Yeah, yeah. Explain that a little bit better. I'm sure trying to digest. So, so, so basically, you've got, like, you're trying to uh, create some value. Yeah. And I'll give you an example later on that actually Christopher Alexander gave, because it just came to my mind. You're trying to create some value. Yeah. And you need to do certain things in order to create that value. Yeah, you can simplify your how you create that value uh, by actually reducing the kind of value or the impact that, that it has. Yeah, so the value that you are delivering to business to whatever, right? So if you simplify and you reduce the value, what you are trying to do is reducing what is essential, because you should not be reducing the value that you are delivering. Whereas if you can simplify the solution without reducing the value, then what you're doing is you're working on simplifying the accidental complexity, uh, right? Okay. <clears throat> now, and the CRISPR, the, the reason I bring it because it takes you to one level higher than the solution. It takes you to problem selection, right? So problem selection is the first part of problem solution. Which problem you are trying to solve actually allows you to reduce complexity. So you can, if you don't select the right problem to solve, you're already introducing accidental complexity. And Christopher Alexander, he doesn't talk about it in this way, but his example comes to my mind and I've, I've described it before as well. He takes this idea of you, the value is that you want hot water for your tea, right? Your solution could be a cattle or your solution could be a, um, a tap that produces hot, hot water. They are very, very different solutions. But basically what, what you've done is it takes two things, context and form. Context is the problem domain and form is the solution. And where you divide what is context and what is form, what is the problem and what is the solution, can allow you to think of solutions in totally, in totally different dimensions, right? And so when you selecting the right problem can mean that you have a very easy problem to solve or you have a very complex problem to solve is it, is it selecting the problem or selecting the solution so it's it's actually it, so problem selection so so you've got a 
in so the way that you think about it, you think value, something that you're trying to solve, like the whole environment that includes both the problem and the solution, right? So so that context side of things. So it may be I'm, I'm describing maybe the, it's not selecting the problem, but it's w- w- what you choose as the environment for your problem. Maybe a better way of describing it, right? So in a way, it is a bit for problem selection. We, it's when, when you are trying to choose the context, you are shaping the problem. You are framing that problem, right? Mm-hmm. So you're defining uh-huh. that problem. So, I mean, if you think of like, say, for example, is it a problem that I need hot water for my tea? Is that the problem? Or is the problem that I need to find a way to get the hot water? The, I need the hot water for my tea is, is, is the value. I need to find a way to get the hot water is the problem. And then you've got the solution on how to, how to build that way. That's hey, what hey, I is, is, see. And is it like a, a way to, I'm just trying to build on the metaphor here. Uh, you could potentially simplify the problem as well, uh, reducing variables or changing variables. Because for example, you, you mentioned like, I want hot water to my tea, but we don't, we, we didn't specify how fast we want that. So for example, can I wait for a few minutes or do I want that instant? Uh, because also that would lead us, depending yes, on the- That's part of your problem selection, exactly. Right. You At the end, you're still getting your tea. So that's what I mean uh-huh. by problem selection, yeah. Is that you're still getting that value, but which problem are you trying to solve? And, and so you start, the simplification process starts at the problem selection part. And so then it carries to, on into the solution part. So, so, so basically, like, uh, just for me to, to phrase it in a way that I understand better, is like uh, starting from trying to simplify the problem itself before you discuss the solution. So, uh, if yeah. I may, so I don't think selection may be the right word here, like definition, maybe. Uh, I will find more accurate to what it's, you're. Yeah, I mean, you can call it definition as well. Um, I'm actually taking this term of problem selection from uh, the book by Richard Sennett called uh, The Craftsman. He talks mm-hmm. a lot about problem selection as the, the uh, exactly. I mean, you can call it problem uh, definition, problem refinement, all those things. But at the end of the day, when you are refining, you, you're kind of choosing certain areas to be more important than others when you're refining or problem analysis as well, you can call it, right? Uh, yeah. But that doesn't mean that other way of solving that or uh, other problem kind of if you have a bunch of options for a to you know to uh, or a bunch of problems to select that doesn't mean the others are irrelevant it's just that you are selecting one area one way to solve it and yeah. and this is actually very important because actually the the, the reason I, I thought it's worth mentioning is Sandra when you were talking to one of our internal teams around speaking to the customer and having a very clear view on First of all, because the customer often has a selected problem, but they also have a value in mind. And you then going ahead without really doing problem analysis, you do solution analysis, and that's not where you need to be. You need to do problem analysis and find other ways of satisfying the same value that will simplify the problem and consequently further simplify the solution. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, Sorry, is, I'm thinking a bit too abstract. Maybe we can no, go. No, 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 no. It, it's fine. It's so, fine because this this actually 
uh, I don't know if some of them want to know, but it's no, actually we we were um, at some point no well, well we were trying to pick the topic and so on we were talking about kinefine and you know this framework for dealing with different contexts and I think that uh, I mentioned no, like that you can build software in any of those contexts depending on you know what context you have you'll be able to refine a bit more uh, the problem or or select a bit better what it is that you want to pay attention to. And I think that drives a lot of how, how you would do things, right? Like <clears throat> if there's a, you know, working in an environment where things are clear and simple and so on, you you classify, you know, and you, oh, this is this type of problem. There's a very well-known solution. You just implement, et cetera, right? Uh, whereas, you know, you work as a startup, you don't even know what the, you know, what problem you're trying to solve in many cases, et cetera, you're still trying to figure that out, uh, your approach would be different, right? Like you will put stuff out, then, you know, learn from that and then try to, to figure out. And those two things, like how you choose to approach that and, and what context you're building the software in, factors into that uh, problem selection that you're, that you're talking about. I, I think that it's, in, it's inherent to a cognitive concept, to be honest, in Kinefin, because you got chaos and complex and so on, and mm -hmm. how you apply a particular solution to it. Maybe it's, it's a bit orthogonal to that, because in, for example, in the case of a startup, it's not just about problem selection. It's more about experimentation. You, you, you are actually providing some kind of value and you're seeing that, I mean, in a, at a different level it is, but not from a solution perspective, more from a product perspective or more from my but uh, but your solution kind of and this is this is one of the things so, so how your processes are also part of your solution yeah yeah i mean at, if you yeah, take so, it at that point where where you're where, where you are making a hypothesis and saying this thing can have value and you're doing it in a very rudimentary way for example like you know fake it till you make it type thing and all those kind of things then that definitely goes down to problem selection and solution because Actually, you, you've got a value, like, for example, you know, you've got a, I don't know, a bot, right? And what you, you, you know, you, so that someone needs to interact with a bot and that creates value. Now that you've selected that it needs to be a bot. And then further down, you can also select the problem, actually, that it needs to reply to the person, but I'm not going to build, um, I'm not going to automate it. So you kind of constraining the problem further and then the solution is simpler so yes yes in that way it can definitely it can definitely help yeah right are we straying too much away from the or you know uh, no uh, no it's just like trying to bring that uh, a bit closer to 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 our day-to-day -day in terms of building software and but, but i think that this discussion is important because i feel that we we as an industry also we we moved away from uh, design, business analysis, even architecture, and, and in a way, like uh, uh, it's almost like, for example, oh, we should just like write some music stories. Let's let's start coding, and then we see where it gets us to. And, and this is for me like uh, is a source of complexity as well because we 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 are not analyzing the problem anymore, right? We are just going straight to a solution. And, and this is a problem. And, and when I talk about design and architecture, I'm not just talking about creating the diagram or the architecture itself, but in order for you to design or to architect, you need to think deeper. 
You need to analyze. You need to do a business analysis. You need to start que asking questions. And I think that that process of that uh, to create a direction, let's say, uh, we should do more uh, in, in our approach. Going back and say, look, okay, I understand what you're trying to do, uh, business people, but like, what are you really trying to achieve? Like, what about this, this, and that? Can we compromise on that? Or, or what about that one? Is really discuss a bit deeper the the what they are asking, and because as Mesh said, like in, in the, the the hot water case, there are many ways that we can design a system or or build a system. But if we invest a little bit more time in trying to analyze what what actually needs to be done and the different constraints and the the, the, the trade-offs, we we might be able to come up with multiple solutions multiple ways of building and then choose one that is more appropriate. And I, I don't think that we do that very uh, enough uh, anymore. Yeah. It's the whole area is like, yeah, business analysis and in, in actually in design world, uh, especially in kind of more traditional design worlds, I mean, this is problem analysis. And problem analysis was taught to uh, us, uh, you know, at like, I remember, doing a lot of work on it at university time and so on as well. But we very rarely use it. You, you're right. There is this whole um, idea of kind of piecemeal backlog um, and then, you know, building the next feature and the next feature and not really questioning the solution as a whole, the product as a whole, what kind of things that it's trying to solve. These things uh, we don't do as much. And what happens is that we get complexity, but not only in in the problem space. I mean, there are other aspects of uh, accidental complexity we introduce because we, and it's at all levels, right? It's at the practices level as well. So for example, you know, like talk about the, the kind of the, your testing landscape, right? We, we are doing testing because we're trying to solve a certain problem. Now, we can just be very dogmatic and say, oh, you know, all tests need to be at a particular level or I need to test everything or even I need to do testing and development in all cases or those kind of things. And what we don't realize is that these things, they, they actually reduce complexity. In, there's pros and trade-offs, right? They reduce complexity in certain dimensions and increase complexity in other di dimensions. And... And the same thing happens with our design choices in the software as well, and the technologies we use and the languages we use. And also, and I think this whole thing actually has this impact. And of course, then also what uh, Jose mentioned at the beginning is that how we choose to organize ourselves is almost another dimension of complexity, right? And this whole communication problem all the way from... Um, from the you know who actually owns the value or the, or the problem and who is solving it, and all the kind of this Chinese whispers effect that creates a lot more complexity or accidental yeah. complexity, let's say, behind that as well. Maybe it's worth like taking some of those uh, different sources of complexity, if you like, and then explore them. Uh, maybe like start with a more technical one. Uh, sometimes, uh, but for example, uh, of course that scale or size, like for example, the number of developers that you have will uh, eventually create more complexity. But, but I, I, even when I was working alone, so many, many years ago, I, 
I tried to have my own product and startup, and, and I was alone building that. Yeah, and and even then, on my own, I created complexity complexity software. So we cannot only blame other people. That, that is what I'm trying to say. Uh, but for example, I remember that I wanted to use. I can I can by heart try to remember a few things that uh, led to a complex system where I was the only developer. The choice of frameworks, because I tried to learn uh, and as I was starting from scratch anyway. And so like, why, why don't I just pick some things that I want to learn? And, and in doing so, uh, of course, that you are trying to learn something, but you are not proficient at that, which means that you don't have the right skills. Uh, uh, and, and even like the way that you design, uh, Mesh, you touched upon that earlier, for example, uh, if you are using uh, a, a, a paradigm style that you're very used to, like OO, and you go from Java to C Sharp, your design will probably look very similar, right? But if you go to a functional programming or a reactive uh, approach, and, so, and you don't have those skills, like modeling in functional, for example, it will be very difficult. I, I would struggle with that myself if I were to do today. And so there was an element like complexity was introduced because I chose things that I wanted to learn at the same time that I was trying to deliver something. So I made a lot of mistakes when I was playing with it, trying to figure out how those those things would work. So of course that I introduced complexity. Another big source of complexity in my code was I was creating abstractions uh, to prevent problems that I would potentially have. Because in, in theory, if you think about it, you would just write a linear code. I need to go from A to B, I need to do this to work. So why don't you just write a procedural code, very linear, right? So click to this page, needs to go to database, right? It's very linear, no no abstractions, no, no nothing. The reason that we start introducing all those abstractions and stuff is because we are trying to uh, prevent certain problems to help. Uh, to happen, including readability, right? So, or I want you to make sure that things are more, uh, I can reuse things, I avoid duplication, or or if this area of the code changes, then I need to have some protection so I can change that area without having impact on another area. So every time that we start introducing more structure in the code, it's always because we are trying to prevent a problem to happen in the future. That's it. And, and, and then, Depend on our biases or uh, uh, depend on, on, on the things that we don't want to have in our previous experiences, we will be creating certain structures in our code. And, and I mean, this, this is, is actually the, yeah. This this is um, uh, this is actually a very interesting topic um, on um, the dependencies between different parts of the software as a network graph right and when so you can introduce um, uh, abstractions that reduce that network graph or that increase it so the way to um, to look at it is that you know if you have 10 elements uh, sorry i might get a bit too kind of abstract again but if you got 10 elements within the system that are all dependent on each other You've got the the complexity of um, uh, a I think it's two to the power of ten, or the other way around, the two to the power of ten. 
but actually, if you if you have if you then are effectively able to divide it into five pieces that are talking to each other only, and the other five pieces that are talking to each other only, um, you get you get actually I might be missing the formula, but you get a lot. You decrease, and then those two big things talking to each other just through a one network. I think the I think the formula I'm looking for is n times n minus one divided uh, by two. Yeah, something I, I yeah, but it, <laughs> okay. the, the and then when you split it, and you know you yeah. get the same thing, but then you get a next between the the other exactly. Two. So so you get basically what you get is you <laughs> get a, a reduction of uh, exponential reduction or increase in complexity based on whether you're introducing these two abstractions to reduce the network effect, right? And this basically, in a different way, defines good application of coupling and cohesion, right? Now, and for if you are introducing abstraction for those reasons and, and they are effectively creating this phenomena, you are simplifying. And this now we're talking about complexity in the solution domain. You are simplifying yeah. complexity. But yeah, if you... Funny. Sorry, go on. No, 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 finish it. But sorry, I was just going to say that if you, if you... But if you do it badly, that you can actually compound complexity, right? Where, especially when you, you have uh, places that are distant, but still have that network effect. So not only now you have this network effect and complexity, you've also lost cohesion, which basically means that now you have dependency at, at a distance or unknown, and so you lose loss cohesion as well. So, so you, you know, creating an, un, an abstraction that's not well thought out can actually compound the complexity. And if it's well thought out, can reduce complexity. So that's another thing. I think abstractions in themselves are not wrong. They are always bad. It's just how we apply them as well. This is the thing. I don't, I don't remember where is this from. Uh, but the whole thing about architecture uh, basically minimizing so good, good uh, architectural decisions would help you minimize the kind of trade-offs that you need to do later on. So they would, they would delay as much as possible having to introduce complexity, so to speak, to to what you're doing. But you're making those decisions since the beginning, right? Like the minute that you that you choose a stack or whatever other technology you, you're gonna be using. Uh, if you don't understand well enough the problem, but you're still applying sort of like a class of solution, like microservices, for instance, people who don't understand the problem and then fit, tend to apply a solution that may not be f very well fit for, for this. All of this is already uh, creating that complexity or, or added complexity it's, that we're talking about as well. What, what you're talking about and what Sandro talked about earlier as well, actually, it's uh, referred to as impedance mismatch. Right. So impedance mismatch is defined by where the technology that you've chosen is uh, is is not suitable to directly suitable to the problem or the design. So what happens is that now you have to uh, jump through hoops and you're adding accidental complexity. So a typical example is taking, for example, a JSON data structure and applying that in Java in an object oriented language. Right. Um, it, it they don't they, they have an impedance mismatch so what you end up doing is you you pass them you put them in objects you use c sharp you, you <laughs> work, you, you work with them I, I, I don't know my life, even knowledge of java is old so maybe java now has a whiz bang framework which i seriously doubt 
but uh, I, you know, I'm just kind of uh, hedging my bets. But you get this impedance mismatch, and because of that, now you have all this translation complexity from one uh, representation to another, right? So, for example, uh, not that I, I am advocating JavaScript, but let's say JSON has an impedance match with JavaScript and a JSON store, right? So when things are coming and you don't have to do a lot of translation because JavaScript natively hand, handles it, JSON store natively handles it, in the front web page you've got you dealing with <clears throat> exactly the same, you don't have the translation layers. And so you reduce the accident complexity. Yeah, I was just like uh, trying to go back to a point I made. I just remembered YouTube doesn't allow us to share links on the chat, by the way. Uh, but but I wrote a blog post a long time ago called Inflection Point. If people look for Inflection Point and my name, they will find a blog on, on Codeunits. And, and I was talking about uh, as we are writing code, we try to optimize for future problems, and I call I call it future proof. So, how future proof do I want to make my code? Yeah. And, and those future proof can be from many different aspects. As I said, it can be even be things that are more uh, difficult to measure, like readability or maintainability and, and stuff. But it can even be like, for example, performance, uh, security, and stuff like that. So we are. Uh, I'm preparing my code, so not only to do what it needs to do, but I'm doing that in a way so that in the future, it will be easier to be maintained by someone or, or uh, it will have low impact if I change here and it doesn't break something else uh, or, 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 or something, right? So it's, it's, uh, it's fast and so on and so forth, right? So, and, and, and there is, a, I think that you can introduce complexity going in each one of those extremes, right? Because uh, a lot of people, being in the agile world, like, uh, it's like, well, don't, don't introduce complexity if you don't need, yeah? Because the, <coughs> I think that even, uh, I think that Laura uh, or Laura uh, mentioned that, like sometimes she needs the waterfall. <coughs> uh, it, it's, it's a bit related to that, because I think that in the past, like uh, in the, Waterfall times, because uh, I, I lived through that period myself. The, what what do you mean the waterfall times? That still is a thing. Still, there there right, are still okay. places so, where that is done. Yeah. <laughs> but, but but I think that like back then, uh, the design phase uh, or the planning phase, uh, we were trying to do that because we were doing all of that upfront. We were already build into the solution, not only the, the simplest thing could possibly work, but also like you were trying to cater for multiple people uh, maintaining that or future evolutions or, or, and because we didn't know in which direction the system would evolve, we would end up putting abstractions everywhere because then whichever way the system evolved, that area we would be protected, but we would be paying the price of a more complex structure across many other areas that we would not evolve beyond the original idea. Uh, on the, the more agile way of work, we almost flipped that around. Right? So like, okay, let's do the simplest thing could possibly work. And we introduce abstractions and complexity when those things evolve or we need a variation in there. Uh, but, and this is what I call the inflection point. I think that if you just, everything we do is too simplistic, 
everything else we do afterwards will need rework on whatever we have. But if we also try to cater for all possible chains that we cannot even perceive right now, we will introduce abstractions everywhere. And then we pay a, a hefty price on, on, on complexity without a real need for that. But there is, I think, that mainly at architectural level, that is an inflection point. I don't think that you can, as we said in previous episodes, that you could just say, oh, you know what, let's start writing a few classes in here and expect a, 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 an enterprise system to emerge. So there is a, a, a minimum level of business analysis, technical analysis, architecture, design, and a set of problems that we should take into account from the beginning or the early days of, of the development. Because if we go for a very simplistic approach, we know that you're going to be doing a lot of your work as well. But so this is what I call the inflection point. That is a, a point where beyond that point, uh, you have problems, right? You're making it more, more, you're making it uh, more complex than it needs to be for yourself. No, this is yeah. the, the idea. So the, again, this for me relates to the... A, sorry, it, a different for me, way to put that, a different way to put that, just to search. There is a, 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 few, a degree of problems or certain types of problems that is worth addressing from a bit earlier on because you, you, are, you have a, a, a good degree of confidence that you will need to address them anyway. And it will be better that they are certain things are factored in into your solution from the beginning instead of trying to shoehorn security or, or monitoring when the application Listen, is already quite sorry, sorry to go back to this, yeah, but for me, again, it, it kind of uh, goes back a little bit to the Ginefin framework and all of this, right? Because the, the Ginefin framework talks about these four kind of types of context and how to deal with, with those, right? And simplicity, no, or or a context where you, you know, you have these steps very well defined. No, like this is what needs to be done. You know, all of the variables or or most of the variables are, are very well known, uh, and you know you can optimize and get the best result possible. That's that's one way of, you know, that that's one place, but then you have things that are. I think the distinction that it makes between complicated and complex and chaotic, right, which is mostly where we move in in software development, is is quite right, right, because you have in in a complicated environment you have a you have some knowns, yeah, you know some variables, and there is certain level of you know predictability that you can get, right, like you you know that. You know, you can get a good result if you do that thinking, right, and really understand the uh, problem and so on. In a complex environment, that is not the case. In the complex environment, there's a lot of, uh, again, uncertainties, you know, that you don't, that you don't have. You, you have too many variables. You have, you know, like uh, uh, this kind of stuff, right? Where doing a lot of that pre-planning is not going to help you uh, uh, get there, and it's it's a it's easier to well not easier but more effective let's say to navigate that context differently than just doing some 
design up front or, or doing some some of this stuff. But this is where a lot of the agile approach, you know, comes in handy, you know, if, if you are using it properly. And then you have chaos, right? Where nobody knows what's gonna happen. You just act and then <laughs> see see what you get from that. Right. Like you, you, there's no point in making predictions of, of how that's gonna work. And then you just I, adapt to the context as it as it's happening, right? And I feel like that this kind of fits to to that. No, like uh, for me, waterfall in a lot of cases is using the wrong approach for the context in which you are working, right? I think I I, I think it does and it doesn't. There are two two elements to this. For me, uh, the Kneffen framework is more related to a, <clears throat> dealing with essential complexity. So when you have highly complex essential complexity versus complicated or, you know, that kind of thing, where the levels of essential complexity are high or low and so on, and the kind of strategy that you can apply to. The inflection point, to me, actually, is more about the trade-offs you're making in terms of the material that you're using to evolve your system. So so from uh, for, for what I, the way I understand it is that uh, when you're talking about upfront analysis, upfront design, on paper and so on, to me, they, they are more malleable materials, right? And code itself is less malleable. It's less able to evolve than, than a diagram on a mirror board or on a whiteboard, right? When, when you are evolving something that is fairly undefined or you're still exploring ideas, it's better to explore them in more malleable materials than in in more in than less malleable materials so you know making this uh, if you're using boxes and arrows for your classes and interactions yeah the cost of change you're trying to reduce the the cost of change and exactly and you're evolving yeah Yeah. so boxes and arrows help you they encourage you to evolve whereas code less so you know because you have to do a lot of thing and shifting and you end up not evolving it to the point that it needs to be because you have inertia. There is too much there for you to evolve to the ideal position that represents your new knowledge. And I believe that what you are referring to is that, of course, that we are not evolving uh, the, the, the actual software itself while we are using more malleable materials like a whiteboard or box and arrows. But what we are doing there, we are exploring the possible solutions and the problem domain, right? So this is what exactly. we are doing. So we are And even the cheaper. solution domain, yeah. Yeah. Even in so some cases, because you, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's even with the solution, like when you're talking about classes and you know and objects and those kind of things and components and so on, putting them on a board and kind of playing with them and seeing how they fit and using different uh, perspectives, like you know interactions and structures and all those kind of things, and you you know this all helps you to evolve, understand your problem better, and understand your solution better. And in fact, often when you're doing problem analysis, you have to deep delve into the solution to feedback into the problem. So you have to take these fast feedbacks and, you know, like a drawing on a, on a board or a thing is much quicker feedback than, than writing the code. Uh, but by the way, um, this question around the AI, I think, uh, Sandra, you asked like what you mean by the AI I have something to say about this. Do you think that the question is from Salva Crespo? Do you think that this mm-hmm. complexity may be the reason for projects like Google 
to promote AI programming for us. For, I think Google promoting AI programming is about easiness and not complexity. And I'll give you an anecdote. Right when I was doing my bachelor's uh, degree, one of the the um, modules was um, was uh, a neural nets, neural networks. Right, and the way you you build neural networks is that in them days they were kind of hardware related, and the way that you built them is through these learning algorithms like weighting and you have these kind of small elements and then you know you weight them there's input outputs and a weight and the weight is changed in order to get you know to kind of meet the sample results so that's how the the neural net learns and you can never very rarely see how the neural net is performing the task that you told it it will do it and it will do it well after a lot of training but you can often you don't know how it's doing it and so actually, that's what I mean by easy and, and simplicity. A neural network is complex and it, like generative solutions are complex. They don't, they, they are not uh, adhering to simplicity from the point of the reader. You can't, like things that are generated often are very difficult to read. And especially when AI programming is working and creating code that's not created by human beings, it's going to start making certain optimizations that are no longer for, for the domain of the human being. And that's the anecdote in those neural networks we were training was that we were often kind of told to do a sim small thing and then try to see how it's doing it. And one of the things actually they found out that it was using a short circuit within one of the chips in one of the machines that you're using to present logic. So it knew that there was a, a flaw in the, in the motherboard and it was using the motherboard's flaw as part of the solution. And it took us ages to get to why it's doing that. It was such a small problem. But that goes back to the thing that when computers are creating code and then you are intending to read that code or update it, you know, you've got a world of problems. You're actually introducing a lot more complexity. So the, the question on whether Google is doing the AI programming to solve this complexity for us, no. They're actually making things more complex. They might be making it easier to develop software, but for you to then maintain it as a human being, you can forget about it, especially when you talk about larger systems. Yeah. There, there is another question that I would like to address. Uh, is one from Dirk. Uh, so he asks, like, what qualities do people need to have what policies do people need to have a good feeling for the future evolution? So a good balance between uh, Yagni or you ain't gonna need it uh, and over-engineering can be achieved. This is a very good question, uh, Dirk. So the, the way that I, I like to think about this is back to what Mesh were, uh, was, was saying uh, before is making sure that we define the problem well. So, and, and defining the problem well includes some even quality metrics, if you like, as well. So, for example, you can define the problem in one way that says, hey, we need to implement this feature for our clients. This is one aspect of what needs to be done, right? So, but we still need to uh, define the scope of that problem domain. How we are gonna? How are we planning to achieve that? How do you want to maintain that? What are, for example, do you want? The, how many clients are gonna use that uh, simultaneously? Uh, while we are building this feature, are we gonna build many other features in parallel? 
What is the size of our de uh, development team? Do you want to de de uh, deploy this feature separately from other features in the system? Uh, how, at which, to which degree do we want uh, fully a full automation of those, uh, of this feature in terms of testing and deployment and so on? So all of that are things that we might be uh, optimizing, uh, or, or these become part of the, the problem domain or in the solution space as well. So, for example, do we want to follow a similar pattern for other features, which means that we are uh, uh, aiming for familiarity, easy to read, because we're following standards that we already have in the code, or we are exploring that in a completely different language and stuff. Uh, so there are many things in there that we need to consider. Uh, I think we should settle for some of them. For example, in order to build this feature, we need this minimum set of testing, automation, uh, or security or monitoring and stuff like that, because you are putting all of those things, but that needs to be agreed with a wider audience, like with the rest of your team or across teams or whatever. What is the solution space, right? So we know what the problem, what we're trying to achieve. So there is a problem domain, but what would be the size of that, the shape of that solution that you want to give? And some of those things we will factor in from the beginning. So I normally like to factor in some operational requirements uh, that we call it today. In the past, we used to call it non-functional requirements, right? So today, I think a better term is uh, operational requirements, but like security. Cross-functional, cross some call it cross-functional as well. Yeah, or, or some people, call, but, but those things for me, they, they, they are part of your solution. <laughs> <laughs> the cat has I'm a lot sorry, guys. He has an opinion. He has an opinion. If you want to. <laughs> <laughs> no, but, I, but I, I have a... that's that's how I would say, Dirk. So, like, sorry, the, 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 I think that uh, you need to have a certain set of standards that would fit within a solution, and then you can factor in uh, in from the get go. Uh, I I have a, a a different angle to that, right? Because he's he's asking about. What kind of qualities? No, or no, and I think in the end that is about doing trade-offs. How much do you do? Right, like there is a let's say there's an ideal uh, solution to this thing, and then there is many intermediate steps that that you have from where you are, right? And I think one quality, or at least one thing that I would expect, is for people to know what are the pros and cons of all of those intermediate steps or different solutions so that they can have enough information to make that trade-off. So experience is a, is a big uh, factor in that. Having seen it firsthand is a good way of understanding what the pros and cons are because you, you suffered through them, <laughs> no? Uh, but also, if you haven't had that experience, you can still go and look out for other ways of doing it. This is where katas and other you know doing some other exercises that may not be a you know production kind of related will also help you but the important thing for me here is to understand that there are many ways you know what the whole spectrum is what are the different possibilities whether you like them or not is not that important in my opinion uh you can have some i personally wouldn't I would prefer not to have them, no, because in the end you're trying to solve the problem. That will get in the way of, of doing the right trade-off. The minute that you have a preference, then you have kind of like a weakness on, on making those trade-offs. Uh, but as uh, but but the idea is to know as 
much about all the other solutions and the alternatives to that and being able to compare and choose uh, where. Because you're always, so, so that's one aspect. The other aspect of that is understanding what you're trying to achieve, like what is the value yeah, that you're trying to achieve. And then the other aspect is what are the constraints, uh, understanding the constraints within which you're working. Right. So you have those three things, like what value you're trying to, what kind of solution or the solution space and what constraints, then you can understand how to make those trade-offs. Now, that's not very easy to do. The cat. Uh, that's not very easy to do, right? But, uh, but, but I think that's, that's the essence of it. If you, don't, if you only have two things to choose from, <laughs> forget about it. No? It's, it's like you either do one or, or do the other. No? If you only have one thing to do, if this is a lot of the time this is what happens. Like people are dogmatic about what they, uh, the, the tooling and the, the, the way that they approach things then you're not going to be able to make those trade-offs, right? So that's that's the way that I see it. The, the, the most, like, uh, I wrote that blog post again, like, if people can search the inflection point uh, in my name and you'll find it in the Codurance website. It's quite an old blog post. I evolved that, but I never wrote about that, uh, the evolution, because I had a picture that was, uh, I had, like, for example, the picture was, like, a spectrum where, you have the straightforward, for example, you have something to solve, you just do enough code to solve that. It's the simplest thing could possibly work without take, well, taking into account the bare minimum that you need just to get that done. As soon as you start factoring in other things that I call future-proof, that's when you start evolving that that there is a trade-off. So, for example, if I'm going to try to future-proof my code uh, to something, I'm not only trying to solve the problem, but I'm also trying to prevent a problem, right? So there is a focus on solving the existing problem, but also preventing other problems. You have. The problem with future-proof is that you can try to future-proof your code across multiple things, right? So it's not that it's just one thing that you're going to try to future-proof. And this is where the complexity really is, uh, grows, because you're trying to future-proof across multiple areas. And then, so there was a line underneath this, this graph of the, the, uh, the uh, straightforward to multiple different types of future proof codes. And there was, this line was a trade-off. So this is the kind of trade-off that you make. If I want to future proof uh, my code to a bunch of stuff, I might be trading off uh, simplicity and even the speed of delivery as well, time to market and stuff like that. But if I try to, to just uh, uh, the trade-off is like uh, uh, we'll focus on uh, time to market simplicity. I would be potentially uh, sacrificing uh, potential problems that I might have. But there was also the, the thing that is not in the blog that I added was a time element to it as well. Because those things, they change over time. right? As time goes by, those trade-offs, they, they also have an impact. Right, because you, certain windows that you have, uh, the window of opportunity, if you like, they start closing, you know. So, so that it's a bit more. So, finding that inflection point and going back to uh, the, the the kind of uh, calls that people need to have is, is very complicated. But you need to have that holistic view uh, and make be able to make those decisions consciously. Should we should we go into solutions a little bit of, or some recommendations on how to reduce uh, this uh, accidental complexity. Yeah, 
there are there are it depends we were first of all on a, on a more technical side i think that one way to avoid that uh laura i would not say to go all the way back to waterfall but i get your sentiment i don't know if it's laura or laura uh the but the but i think that the sentiment that you wrote uh if i understood correctly is we need to invest more time in planning not planning but analyzing the the, the problem, problem, problem analysis, problem yeah, analysis, problem and analysis. even problem analysis, analysis and solution exploration. Yeah, these are the the two things that we we do very little of, and I think yeah. this is definitely an area. But I, I would also say that your when you are applying anything, you need to think very carefully, right? And I was giving an example of a, a particular language. Like often, as software developers and even as companies. Uh, we will stick with a, a single language, for example. Different languages have different kind of strengths and understanding and creating a, a toolbox where you understand how those different languages, and that's just one area. Um, so, that, and, and this goes back to, to Jose's point. If you have one solution to choose from, right, it's not going to always fit every single problem. Right, not everything is a nail if you have a hammer, contrary to popular belief. Um, and but the same goes for, for it looks like a nail, it, it might not be, <laughs> yeah, but, but to you, exactly. it looks like it <laughs> exactly. Exactly, and often we put too much uh, emphasis on our fluency with a particular paradigm and a language than whether that paradigm or language fits the, fits the purpose, right? So, though, that's that's one area. The other area is also the, the kind of the certain kind of solutions that we choose, frameworks and so on. They're also, they can introduce complexity, they can, or they can reduce complexity. They can help or hinder. The design choices that you make will help and hinder. The practices that you choose will help and hinder. But if you're always, if you have a dogmatic approach to, to practices, to solutions, to languages and all those things, you're going to get it wrong quite a lot of times because if you uh, getting it right is just an element of luck right because you only have that that particular way way of doing things mm -hmm. so exploration of all the different solutions understanding the tools is actually part of our our, our professional um responsibility in my view i'm going to risk uh to say something we even had a, a fireside chat uh but an old one. I don't know exactly how far back I would need to look at our history, but like there was a fireside chat that we had about coupling and cohesion, if I'm not wrong. Uh, and then we applied coupling and cohesion at all levels, not only in software, but in organizational structure as well. I, I still believe that although we, we can talk about uh, accidental complexity coming from multiple areas, um, it can be technical, people, process, all, all that, that kind of stuff. <clears throat> I would risk to say that when you think about coupling and cohesion, it, it's a way, because now we are talking about how can we reduce complexity, right? That, that's the, the thing. So I believe that taking the concept of coupling and cohesion uh, to a much wider scope, as we discussed in a previous episode, and what do we mean by that? Uh, for example, when we, when we analyze the patterns of communication, everything that has a high bandwidth of communication, you, you keep it very 
you keep together, but you try to break those groups as as much as you can, so that there are there are a lot of different groups, and within each group there is uh, elements that communicate a lot among them, but you create a very well established uh, communication pattern across those different groups, which means that you have a highly cohesive uh, group that is loose coupled from other groups. And loose coupled means they have a very well defined and single channel of communication. So when you take this concept... And changing one multiple, doesn't impact the other. Exactly, and changing one doesn't impact the other, or the impact is very limited to that protocol of communication, right? Being an API or, or just a, 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 a way that departments talk to each other or coordinate work. Uh, so I think that there is a general concept of to, to avoid or reduce complexity is to think about coupling and cohesion this way. For your processes, for your groups of people, for your software modules or systems, everything. I think this is a good guideline. This I would is, say. yeah, this that that is that is definitely yeah. That it's a strategy for reducing the communication complexity that we talked about, right? And, and the that's as well as communication uh, between people or communication between software components and different pieces yeah. of software. Yeah. So I, yeah, but I think change and easy to evolve yeah. without breaking out and so on. Exactly. So I think that it's it's definitely that strategy for that. But it I would say that yeah, it's one of the strategies for reducing communica- uh, complexity. But complexity comes as you said in other forms as well, where you will need to think about other things as well. Like you know the problem selection we talked about, tool selection we talked about. Um, there's a lot of different things that can actually that bring in accidental complexity there, into there's one the thing, software process. There, there's one approach as well that I think we haven't mentioned, or at least not that I remember. But uh, approaching a software building as growing software, I think, is another thing that kind of tends to reduce the, the complexity. And what I mean by that is... Um, Things like walking skeletons and this kind of stuff, where you start with almost nothing but a, a general view of, of your system, and then continuously incrementally uh, uh, introduce not more of those specs or more of the that value, you know, the delivery that you want to do, and that kind of forces you to start with almost nothing, yeah, and then add layers uh, on top as you need them. So everything that you are doing is kind of justified because, again, you're, you're, it's needed in order to add the, the new value that you're, um, that you're adding. And that way, you, know, you don't necessarily go into a lot of over-engineering or over-architecting and, and so on. So I think that is a good uh, way, let's say, systematic approach, so to speak, not to... Uh, to try to keep that in check, yeah. I think, uh, yeah, I I totally agree with you, but I think it's easily easier said than done. It's because yeah. when we talk about growing growing software, what, what you're talking about is is doing the simplest thing at every given step, right? Yeah. And you know, I've seen a the, lot of people where people mantra. think that the walking skeleton. Is 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 a skeleton, but it's it's a very very complicated skeleton. You know, it's like they've introduced all the the you know their their the technologies and things that they like already in there, and 
but yes, I think in principle, you know, when you talk about grow, growth, you talk about very simple incremental steps and each one that has value in itself. Um, but yeah, it's, um, again, it goes back to that whole thing. Like, you know, people have built skeleton where they have 20 microservices. Yeah. Uh, that's one not doing a lot, <laughs> but you know, that's their skeleton and that's not really growing, uh, growing from the simplest steps. Right? Yeah. No, there, there's a, there's someone in the chat, Artemis, uh, I think it, it says, uh, sometimes always asking, do we need this now is also key to avoid complexity and unnecessary dependencies. Yes, yeah. definitely. <laughs> that's that's part of you know uh, of of reaching that simplicity right like can you remove the minute that you cannot remove it because otherwise it doesn't work then you've you've reached that yeah. kind of level of, yeah. of simplicity that you're looking for right that goes uh, back to the original definition of like, <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Local, i think by right? the way i think this is if, if i'm uh, mistaken this I, this i think in the little prince uh book there's something about this. I will I will look it up because I think there is a there is some sort of quote I think from from Tiny Superior that is related to simplicity as well. I'll I'll look it up. Yeah, yeah there, there is one thing that I would like to add because I saw uh, I think that is Artemas. Uh, apologies if I'm not pronouncing your name correctly. Uh, but in general, yes, I would say I would agree as a general principle say, hey, do we need this now? Uh, in general, I would agree with this principle. However, uh, I also, this is what I was talking about, the trade-offs and the, the straightforward to, to future proof and stuff. If we are always just focusing, the problem that I would have with this approach sometimes is that this approach might lead us to a very myoptic view of the problem. For example, you are not only building as one feature. Right? We are building a full-blown software over time. But if everything we do, we just have a very narrow view, it's like, what is the bare minimum that we need to implement this? We gradually start creating a Frankenstein as well. And at some point, you see teams that are now, everything that they want to do, they go through a very large cycles of refactoring all the time, or they need to, almost like they are brought to a halt, because now they need to refactor loads of things because they... They, they cannot, uh, because they didn't build some of the uh, abstractions or they didn't care. For example, a, a sequential, a, a, sequ a large sequence of doing the bare minimum that we need right now for each one of those features very rarely would uh, lead you to a more uh, strategic view of your software and how you're building, how you're growing, how many people are working on it, how you're maintaining and stuff like that. And this is, the for me, the other extreme. You just need to be careful, uh, Artemis. I, I'm by no means I'm suggesting that that's what you've done, because like before I saw your last message, one of the questions that I would have from your first message is, for example, you mentioned that uh, the the team would choose the simplest solution. What would be interesting to discuss is what did you factor in within the simplest solution? Is it just getting the job done for that feature, or you factor in other things as well? Uh, that leads more to the strategic side and future proof as part of the simplest thing or the smallest thing that you should build. This is it's, where I it, think that it's, the, it's actually it's actually funny challenges. because the word growing is is very weighty, like growing software so that at every increment it grows, right? You know, like you often see sometimes like that agile picture where 
you know, they say, well, a solution is a skateboard and then a bicycle and mm. then a, this and that, right? And actually, if you follow I that, I hate that picture. Brother. Yeah, exactly. If you follow follow that metaphor, basically means that you're throwing your solution out of the door at every increment, right? Exactly. Because a skateboard exactly. cannot just turn into a, into a bicycle. Exactly. Right. <laughs> then then there is another metaphor that people talk about, which I I find quite compelling, but again has its own problems. Metaphors generally do, and you know it's the growing again, but like growing the way that a plant grows, right? From a seed at every single point, it's a plant. You know, even that little sapling is very simple, but it's a plant. But all the way to a tree is the same thing. It grew, right? And at every step, it was a complete thing. It was always a plant or a tree or whatever, right? But then those kind of solutions have a fractal nature to them, right? The way they grow. And software doesn't always, often, most cases, is not fractal. It's not that simplistic a structure. So I think the word growing can sound quite nice. <laughs> Sorry, Jose. <laughs> can sound quite nice and idealistic. But in the real world, in the real world, there are problems with growing growing systems. Yeah, um, I, for sure, for sure. Yeah. I was in, again, it, it's not a silver bullet. Yeah, mm -hmm. it's just, you know, if, if you need some guidance on how to approach this, those could be ways to, you know, the rule of thumbs they work for, you know, ninety percent of the cases, not necessarily for hundred percent of the cases, right? Mm -hmm. um, and again, it's also uh, as a, I go back to you know the experience and knowing more than one context and all of these things, so that you can choose whether whether that is the right approach or not for what you're trying to do. Like before, when you were uh, discussing this, it's evident, no? Like you, it's it's a little bit like when you do. A, when you're first learning TD, and it's like, no, do the simplest thing that works and whatever, right? Oh, let's hard code this value here. No, that's a, and now we're going to hard code this value again. And, hard code it, you know, and, then, and then at some point, you really need to say, hey, this is not working out, right? Like, exactly. I may end up making all the tests pass, and uh, no, you want, but I'm not delivering not building anything. But, <laughs> I'm, not I'm building, building a database table. Exactly. <laughs> no, this is like, like the other day I saw on Twitter, like, like a method that is, this is odd. Uh, is odd, no? Uh, for a number, and then anyway, if <laughs> one <laughs> exactly right, it was a, a bunch of ifs, one after the other, right? So that's that's the it's the same thing. Like you can easily go into that uh, into that. Area. But I, for, for me, that would also uh, the not kind of not understanding the context that, uh, and I go back to the definition that I said about. You know, being pragmatic because this is something you know. Pragmatism is one of the values that we have. So I've been thinking about this and how to explain to people as well, right? So, uh, and understanding the context, not only the value that you're trying to, but understanding the context and the constraints. And there's always a constraint: time, money. So those are very hard constraints that every project, independently of your consulting business or a, a, or a product uh, business, you have, right? And if yeah. you're not taking those things into consideration, then you know you're not doing your job entirely well as well as you could let's say yeah right? exactly so so that's that's part of the thing right yeah okay so we're gonna we're gonna close we've already seven minutes over time so uh any final thoughts let's keep it fairly short <laughs> no i think that the, the the for me like the the takeaways is that try to simplify the problem and explore the solution uh, explore multiple solutions. So the, the sooner and do that in the cheapest way possible. So probably not through code. Uh, and so that is one side. 
Another side is considering the, the coupling and cohesion across multiple levels, keep everything that is has a, a strong dependency and high communication uh, frequency together and try to split as, in, in as many uh, different groups as possible and define a well-defined communication across them. So that's how, that's some of the takeaways from my side. Thank you. And Jose? Um, I, more than a takeaway, maybe a recommendation, I would suggest people to take a look at No Silver Bullet, the essay by Fred Brooks, uh, which, by the way, recently died. Mm -hmm. uh, so, uh, you know, rest in peace and all that. So uh, take take a look because he talks about uh, accidental complaints. He talks about design. He talks about how, you know, what, what kind of, uh, his thoughts on, on many of these things and that I think are, are still quite relevant. Uh, this was a suggestion actually by Matt. So, I, <laughs> so uh, please go, go and, and take a look. I think that uh, that would be helpful uh, in understanding this. And also take a look at uh, Kinefing, yeah, the, the framework. And there's a lot of stuff out there uh, around this. Uh, so, yeah, take it out. I think it would help. Expand the horizon when you're thinking about complexity in software as well. Thank you, Jose. And mine, mine is a simple one as well. Is that actually, as software developers, we need to be aware of what is accidental and what is essential complexity, and that will help you in creating simpler, better solutions. So just having that awareness, always think, keeping that in mind, um, is already quite a way. Uh, into reducing complexity. Okay, well, uh, thank you everyone for listening. As usual, uh, please subscribe and like if you uh, if you want to be notified uh, for for our next. It's usually every uh, Tuesday evening um, uh, around seven o'clock uh, UK time. And um, yeah, leave us comments as well, any encouraging thoughts and everything, and join us in the next live session as well if you can. Uh, and and uh, give us ideas of different topics as well. You know, we are always looking for things to discuss. So uh, if you have anything good in mind, then uh, send us that via Twitter or comments or, or email. So thank you very much for listening. And uh, it's a goodbye from us. Thank you all. Bye-bye.